0: Welcome back, everyone. We have a very special guest as I start today's podcast. We just get hit by a deluge of rain. So if you hear rain in the background, that's just because we are getting hammered at our office here in Puerto Rico. But I have a very special guest, Mr. Don Yochum, and I'm really looking forward. I've been talking to all of you guys the past, what, month, maybe longer, about today's podcast because I've really been looking forward to it. Because Don has been able to backfill a lot of the information and reinforce a lot of the uh, opinions that Julie and I have had, and are you know essentially validate some of our our own research about essentially the team model. And as you guys know, or at least most of the longtime listeners know, we're not huge advocates of the team model, at least in its present form. Um, So what I'm hoping to do today is have an honest conversation. Now Don and I are basically on the same page with this, so it won't be much of a debate. But who's to say? We are not in, you know, we might be in disagreement about certain aspects of essentially what's happened to the team model. But what I want all of you to listen to, uh, what I'm hoping you learn from this rather, is that you do have a choice in how you can essentially run your real estate business. And our philosophy has been run a profitable real estate business, lead with profit. And what a lot of you do is you don't lead with profit, but you don't know you're not leading with profit until you're so far down the rabbit hole, it's really difficult for you to reverse course. And so I'm going to start out with this question. I'm going to, and, and you know oh Actually, Don, can you tell them a little bit more about, about your background? Because you have a massive background in brokerage. Um, they need to know that you're the real deal. Can you tell them a little bit about all the different offices and regions and things like that you've been involved with? Sure.
1: Well, I probably should start, though, by saying my first full year in the business, I closed 51 deals with Remax. So I, I can sell property when I need to. Uh, but I uh, I did take my I did take my career into management. Uh, in 2000, I became a team leader with Keller Williams in Roseville. That was the first KW in Northern California. I built that office from 10 to 184 agents in 27 months. And then uh, myself and Wayne Hall built six more KWs in the Sacramento metro area. And then with a couple other partners, Gene Frederick and I did uh, Palo Alto Cupertino, and other partners I did uh, Santa Rosa and Tahoe. And I think I may be the only person in KW's history that has successfully built 10 KWs from the ground up, but uh, that was a, a good run. And uh, I uh, since 2010, I've been coaching uh, some of the top teams in the country, including the number one KW top team. and. Uh, and a variety of top loan officers, actually, as well. And uh, it's been really interesting to be able to work with such great talent and also to observe the pros and cons of how they operate their business models and such. And I think uh, the revelations that came out of a lot of those engagements is what has prompted this call.
0: Absolutely. You know what? We might as well take a quite uh, a, a little sidestep. So you left KW and you're now with EXP Realty, which I think a lot of listeners will be very curious to know why someone with your deep background inside Keller Williams would decide to, you know, go to, go to EXP Realty. Why'd you make that move? Well,
1: first of all, I just want to say, you know, my experience at KW for the most part was excellent. And in its day, I feel like KW was absolutely the place to be. Uh, not that I had a bad experience at REMAX, but REMAX provided a lot of autonomy, uh, very little support, however, and then also not a lot of culture. Uh, they just essentially let us do what we need to do to get it on. And we did, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, at KW, it certainly was a, I felt a, a better cultural experience for the most part. And, uh, But what I found is that, first of all, the the model was not as durable in downtimes as I had hoped it to be. And uh, it's a very uh, high-volume, low-margin model, and it has still a lot of costs that do not add value to the consumer. And when we are coming of the age of the Internet infiltrating our business, the likes of the Zillows and the Amazons of the world uh, with a real prospect of them becoming competitors. I think any company that is organized with costs that do not add value to the consumer, uh, I wouldn't say that their company is in jeopardy, but I would say their model uh, is in jeopardy of not surviving this next correction. You know, we've, we've seen commission compression between the agent and the consumer We've seen margin compression between the broker and the agent. The only thing left is a market correction. And one of the things that people fail to see is that a bad model or a mediocre model, I'm not going to call it a bad model, can survive a tailwind environment. But, boy, let me tell you, when, uh, when you enter into a headwind environment, those little mistakes that you make become magnified. And so I think uh, that going forward, we're just going to see a greater and greater emphasis on delivery to the consumer, maximizing the value to them. And then the people that will have the privilege of delivering that will be relationship-based agents that uh, it's going to be very hard to disintermediate them by technology.
0: So that's my take on it. No, it makes perfect sense. And in essence, what he said, listeners, and we talked about this on the show before, is when you have a bunch of intermediaries. or the, It's essentially a franchise model versus an online model. It's essentially like what happened to malls. and It's what's happening to everything that is... If it can be sold online, if it can be run more efficiently online, that's the direction that it's going. And, um, yes, I agree with everything you said about KW. Gary's a brilliant guy, and the company that they built was fantastic, given the tools that were available. And I'm sure, you know, had there be a new KW that's coming about nowadays, well, heck, it's probably EXP Realty in all reality. They would have been virtual as well. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it is fascinating to me to watch all the – you know, there's so many KW people that are rushing to EXP just because I think they see they're thinking like business people and they see the writing on the wall about what you said, what you just said being true. So let's talk about teams. Let's just really drill down. That's what pe- that's what people came to the show today to listen to. Do you think <laughs> you said something kind of fun on the first time we spoke? But what do you think about the present team model? Do you think like the way that it's being taught? Or the way agents are thinking about running their businesses with buyers' agents and and again, the latter part of the show, we can talk about what your new vision is. but why is what do you think of that business model and what do you think the future of it is?
1: Well, it's a very challenged model, and I understand why it was promoted, and I got to tell you, when I was the owner of the kWs, I loved the fact that Gary was champion. My top talent going out and recruiting for me. I got literally hundreds of free recruiters. Okay, so that was great for uh, the folks that were in ownership and also got to make the franchise fees.
0: But uh, yeah, hold on. Don, I'm sorry to interrupt, and I hope yes. you don't lose your train of thought. But what you just said was so incredibly important that I want to make sure that the listeners got it. The reason, and and I'm going to say it just directly, the reason that the brokerages love the team model listeners is because it puts the people in the brokerage, the agents, doing what is the hardest job of running a brokerage, which is recruiting agents. So if you can convince a bunch of agents, ambitious types in your office, that now you need to form a team, now you need to go out and recruit, you're actually putting them in a position of taking over a a very hard to do expensive role in, in the brokerage for free, and they're out there promoting, and then those agents that they're bringing in, they're going to pay you know, royalty fees, they're going to pay more franchise fees. So from an owner's perspective, uh, it is brilliant to encourage agents to go out there essentially and try to form these teams. But nowhere in these conversations, and this is what we're getting to, and this is the most important part of this, I think, nowhere in these conversations have there ever been anything, you know, chatter about what's best for the individual agent. What happens to you and your profit? Are we even talking about profit? Why is it we're not talking about profit? So, Don, sorry for distracting you.
1: No, you're right, though, and I appreciate you emphasizing the point because it's, it's too true. Uh, and I would go even further to say that the, much of the coaching industry has even gone along with the charade uh, because that has gotten them – it's so difficult to profitably run one of these teams that you've literally got to have a coach. And so a lot of coaches have got jobs because a lot of team leaders are struggling with the attrition and dysfunction of that team and and the model they're in. So it it is really gone on, in my opinion, way too long. And uh, I do believe there are some solutions. We talked about that. I think I've, identified what I consider five flaws of that model. And I'd like to believe that I have identified solutions for the same, but,
0: uh, well, why doesn't it work though? So, so what's wrong with the team model? Why does, and when we say it doesn't work Don, let's start out with that question first. Why doesn't, what, when we say it doesn't work or it's a bad business model, That's we're assuming that the goal is to make profit, and right, and right. I mean, that's the reason that we're we're saying that if your goal is to make profit from running a real estate business, a practice, a team, whatever you want to call it, if your goal is to make the most profit you possibly can, we're saying that the traditional way that people are going about scaling their real estate practices through teams is a bad way of doing it. Is that what we're saying, Don?
1: It is. And here's the thing, and I want to make sure that people understand, I'm not saying that there aren't teams out there, and I don't believe you're saying that aren't making profit. They are, but here's what happens. And when Realogy goes and buys a company from a small brokerage, the very first thing that they do is they strip the income out of the P&L from the owner because, you know, you're buying his brokerage, he's going to go away. Right. And so then they recalculate the income and apply a multiplier to it. Well, if these teams would strip out their personal production and then look at their P&L, then they have a more real picture of whether or not they have a viable business model. Further, I would say, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's even definition of a business is that you, one could leave it for one year, come back, and it would be bigger and more profitable than when you left. And if people would apply that test to it, I think you'd find that you certainly didn't have a business, uh, let alone a highly profitable one. And so, we. in uh, and, and but the, I have. I'm sorry to.
0: I'm you, sorry to interrupt no, you again. You go ahead. I really am. The first point was so again incredibly important. Most teams, and it's incredibly rare that I have any conversation with any team people that are looking for, uh, you know, uh, let me just take a sidestep and I'll go back to my point. The reason that this is so personal to me, and I know it's – and Don feels the same exact way, is because there's so many agents out there that when there is a setback in the economy, they're going to be devastated because of the fact that they're running these unprofitable teams and no one ever stopped to tell them. Their, their coaches are lying to them. The, I mean, assuming, you're again – your goal is to make profit. Nobody's telling them the truth about what they're doing. Now, what the point he just made, and I hope you're listening, and I want you to think about this listeners. And again, I talked about this on the podcast before is when you actually were to, most of these teams have eight, the team leader. Okay. You know, they're in production. They're out primarily usually focusing on listings and say, for example, the total GCI, the company of the team is a million dollars. If you were to look, generally speaking, the, rainmaker the team leader the person who did this thing of forming his team with the idea that they were going to somehow have freedom and autonomy and passive income what almost always happens every single time I've ever had this conversation is was when you take out their production the number that they brought in the money that they brought in about a million dollars and you compare it to the money that brought that brought in on the buyer agent side what you almost always see is they're abs- they're subsidizing the, the uh, buyer agent side, in other words if if it wasn't for their production, their own personal production, the buyer agent side basically would be bleeding cash because the cost the commissions all the rest of it they're making so the buyer agent side, generally speaking, makes no profit, and the team leader has to subsidize from what should be their profit just to keep that side of the business profitable and when you ask them why. First of all, they've never. most times they've never had this thought. You break down the numbers after looking at their spreadsheets, or you could just have a conversation and figure it out, too. When they have that little epiphany, you ask them why they're doing it. There is no business reason why. There is no real honest-to-God, you know, contributal – it doesn't make sense. And then it always comes down to because they want to have awards and plaques. They want to be recognized as having sold a billion houses and all the rest of it. Not a profit motive is the point. Don, do you agree or disagree with anything I just said?
1: No, 100%. And just to emphasize that last part of that point that you made, what I believe it is, is it's ego. They don't want to believe that they can't make it work because they have been told that it can work. And there are, by the way, to be fair, there are a few teams out there run by superheroes that do make a profit without their personal production but it, it's a nominal profit for the risk that they have extended themselves into. And so, I think, you know, we've built up so much energy around why it's not working. Maybe we should drill down on a few of the reasons why it is so that they can dissect their own business and see if they can relate to some of these issues. Would you like to do yes. that? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. All right. Okay. So, the number one thing is and one of the things that i would really learned from Gary Keller was that we should go for talent, right? If you get in business with talent, great things are going to happen. And so we all did. And what happens with talent is that they find a way to win. So in rather short order, in about six months, they get up to about two sales a month. They then start to scratch their head and go, gee, you know, I'm already in the top 20% of this brokerage, and yet I'm giving this person 50% or thereabouts of my commission. This is not making a lot of sense to me. And then they go out to do an open house, and they put 12 signs out with the branding of the team leader while the team leader is up skiing, and they really (laughs) have an (laughs) epiphany. What am I doing here, man? I've already – arguably a top producer and I'm promoting this guy's brand and paying him a very handsome amount. And so they leave, they leave in six to 18 months. So that's flaw. Number one, talent comes and talent goes. Flaw number two is that a lot of people that will join a team, join it because they know it's a great source of leads. And and it is, these team leaders have built these magnificent lead generation systems, but what they find out when they get in sort of the rude awakening is that that team leader also, in order to make things work, wants them to prospect even God forbid cold call. And (gasps) so, right. So what (laughs) happens? They fail. And so they quit or they get fired. And what's ironic is that it happens almost in the same window, 6 to 18 months. Third reason is branding. And I mentioned, you know, the guy out doing the open house, is that talent, and this is really only relates to talent because non-talent doesn't even have enough money to buy their own signs, but talent knows one day they're going to want to build their own brand. And so once they achieve that level of production, they realize I probably should do this sooner versus later because when I leave, I'm going to have to start all over and which is kind of sad, but, but true. The fourth reason, Tim, is that it's skin in the game and economists will tell you that they can predict behavior based upon the incentive that the economic incentive. And so when you have a team leader that is spending all the money, you're going to have agents that are going to want you to do more and more. Well, it's worked out up until recently because we've had seven years, basically, of this unbelievable market. And so it hasn't cost that much to generate you mean, un-
0: however, You, mean more, and more, you mean more and more by supporting them and providing them leads. That's what you're talking about. The, the people on your team will start putting the screws to you to basically make their job of selling easier. That's what I think you're saying, Correct.
1: That's exactly
0: right. And what happens
1: is is that that works in a tailwind environment. But Mm -hmm. as you and I have discussed, the cost of leads have gone up. And so the only thing left is a market correction. Now, the team leader, naturally, when there's a market correction, is going to want to right-size their cost structure. But the You know, the sub-agent, of course, is going to want them to double down on their marketing. And so that's where the conflict becomes. And so it was already a high level of attrition literally goes through the roof. Okay. The fifth thing is that these teams have been localized because most of the franchise systems in the country are independently owned. Like when I built those 10 franchises, I was a common owner in each of them, but every single one of them had a separate ownership group. So, of course, those other owners want their own cap, right? And so because of that, it makes the economics such that it's more feasible to have a localized team. And so, therefore, you end up with this large group of people all trying to eat out of the same trough. And so the larger the team becomes, the more the diluted the value is of being on it, and the tipping point, depending on the personality of the team leader, seems to be about eight to 10 people. If you go above 10, the attrition rate will accelerate exponentially because you've got this phenomenon with everybody fighting over the same business in the same area for the same leads. Now, another way to do it is to align yourself with a model it is one company that enables you to have your apprentices not competing against you in the same market, but actually in referral markets to you. And so what happens when you do that is you actually increase the value of being on the team with each hire because you're not just building a referral partner for yourself, but for every member of the team. So the guy in Roseville is getting referrals from the guy in Walnut Creek, but so is the guy in Santa Rosa. Right, so because I'll tell you what really sucks is when you put your time, money, and energy into big talent. They get successful, and then they go compete against you in the same market with the same systems and strategies that you taught them. Maybe even with leads that you helped them generate. It doesn't feel good, and I've coached yeah, a lot I of mean, people who have had to suffer that experience
0: well yeah i mean it's very it's very normal well, I mean just uh this is the reason done, and honestly, we talked to our coaching program revolves around getting agents just to focus on being prominently listing agents and just focusing all their energies on just being a listing agent and keeping and maintaining a certain number of listings at all times, cherry picking the occasional buyers um, and then really referring buyer leads out I mean, you can refer buyer leads out and actually make <laughs> here's a little epiphany for all of you guys you can actually take a buyer lead and refer it out to another agent and make more net profit of only 25 or maybe you get 35% referral fee if you're like Zolo on that buyer side but you know if it's 25% you're probably making more money from referring that buyer lead out than you would be had they been part of your team and you're not having to run an adult daycare and take after them um you know Don I think it's also worth Absolutely. mentioning too. and I, and I want to drill down on what you're about to talk about cuz it's very interesting but as I was hearing you talk, I, I just hear these voices in my head from all the coaching calls. And I know you've had these same calls, probably the same people. And they will often come to you or me or Julie or, you know, they'll say, "I." they won't say it like this, but you can sense it. They feel like they failed. They feel like they're the failure because their team failed again and again and again or because their expansion team failed or, hell, even with their brokerages, their brokerage failed. They could never make it work. But listeners, what you've got to understand is not that you you didn't fail. You just basically followed a failed business plan, and nobody told you. And so when you're when you don't allow yourself to be beat up, I, I had a, there was a little mastermind here locally over the last weekend, and I talked with some of these guys. Uh, one of them had a team blow up on him twice, and he's just basically just given up on you know anything he doesn't ever want to have a big real estate practice again and I was asking him why, and I you know quickly realized that he's still carrying the scars of thinking that he's not good enough or smart enough because these teams failed on him and I could tell by talking to him he's a very talented salesperson, no doubt he's a killer listing agent. But he thought something's defective with him because he is allowing this bad business model to be the anchor around his potentiality. That's the insidious part of the perpetuation of this lie, especially over since 2007. So, listeners, you've got to, you know, there's an old saying I didn't say, I don't know who did. There's a difference between quitting and quitting while you're ahead. And I hope you are listening to what Don said when he said, "Yeah, you know, where there is going to be a noticeable uh, continued adjustment in real estate value. Some of your markets, you're like, yeah, no kidding, Tim. I've been experiencing that for years. New York City, for example. But most of you, you are think you're following this business model of adding staff, adding team members, and even again, brokerages are run just as inefficiently." You're following really effectively what is a bad business model that does not make you a bad business person. Now, if you do know you're following a bad business model and you still try to do it because you think somehow you're the one in a billion person that can make this work, you better check your ego at the door because if your goal of being in business is to make profit, be of service to other people, and with the profit you can reinvest it and become rich where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money – if that is truly what your goal is or if that's maybe that resonates with you at some level, maybe you need to think about making that part of your goal, then really make every decision, run it through the profit filter. There's a great book, Don, I'm sure you've read it. Profits aren't everything, they're the only thing. You guys should all get that book. It's a total antithesis of the way most brokerages and teams are run, but it's a great book. Profits aren't everything, they're the only thing. So, Don, you have you've been working on what you see to be a possible next Uh, an evolution of the defective team model that kind of rights the wrongs. Can you share with the listeners what you, what you envision?
1: Yes, but I, I like you, I'm a big reader and I want to, I want to share a quote from good to great, which most of us have read by Jim Collins. And that is he, Jim says, when you find yourself managing an employee, you have probably made a bad hire. Do you remember that quote? Sure. Okay. So now let's apply that to this business model. When you find yourself managing your business, you probably have a bad business model. Okay? Now, I'm not saying – that you shouldn't lead your team, support your team, refine your systems and processes, okay? But remember, talent will find a way to succeed. Your job is to give them an infrastructure with which to do it. But if you're having to continually manage their behavior, it may not be that they're bad or that you're bad. Like you're saying, it may be that you're just running a inefficient system, which I believe to be the case, so I just wanted to make that point and encourage them to if they haven't read good or great, that is maybe arguably one of the best business books of all time.
0: yeah, definitely. Jim Collins is a an excellent modern day author too um so so what do you see as what's going to happen? Well, let's just put – I think we need to put a, a hard stop on sort of talking about this, and then I really do want to drill down the time remaining and tell them about what your – the thing you sent me, which I thought was really fascinating. But here's here's the hard stop, listeners. If you don't have – you, you absolutely positively need to have a moment of truth with yourself. If you're thinking about doing a team, chances are you're going to basically not make any money from it. It's going to cost you literally years of your life and potential – so much money it's just it's a crazy business model number two um, if you're in the midst of this team thing and you're one of these people that's so frustrated why can't I make it work it's not you you have to accept the fact you're just following a bad business model imagine two franchise restaurants you have a you know you have maybe something like an old Kentucky fried chicken that's sitting right next door to a what is that what's that real popular restaurant that always has a line going around the corner of every every new location Chick-fil-A? they open Chick-fil-A there you go okay i've seen this happen where you'll have you know an old KFC and a Chick-fil-A and and the Chick-fil-A will have to have it's like traffic control every day at lunch there's no place for people to park but there's the KFC next door. What happened there? It's because the KFC is the old business model. The KFC is the—they're still trying to sell a version of the old product. They're still, you know, and they have a franchise. They have all these different things. Chick-fil-A, they sell franchises, but it's completely different. The manager, how they manage their franchise holders, who they decide to be for, and the way that they go about, you know, monetizing the business. Everything is different. The food product is different. The level of service is different. Obviously, that's what resonates with customers because I have never seen a Chick-fil-A go out of business where I'm seeing KFCs. "Ah, Now we're not going to be KFC. Now we're Kentucky fried chicken again. You guys get the point. So it's sometimes it's just the business model that you're following. Yes.
1: Yeah. And Tim, to your point about the KFC and Chick-fil-A go in and observe the quality of the employee in those two businesses because Chick-fil-A has a superior business model they're able to pay a premium wage and they're able to attract a greater talented individual. There's no comparison between those two employees. And so people think sometimes that talent will be the solution. And what I would suggest to you is it has to start with the, a business model that will attract and retain the talent and, that's another thing that you and I' have talked about is that we when you go to recruit somebody, one of the things that they're if they're talent they may be asking themselves and if they're not, they should be asking themselves, can I attain your level of success without leaving you? In other words, is your model going to enable me to be you and in the case of the traditional team, there It can't. The only way that it works is by charging them a significant amount of commission. And even as you've mentioned, that creates a very nominal amount of profit. And so you can never take that new agent and up and make them the team leader. Now, some people say, well, yeah, but we do the expansion model, but that team leader is still taking a sliver of the margin. And so we have more people eating out of the pie. And so as you go forward it becomes a diminished return and therefore it doesn't perpetuate and so you're f- basically forcing talent to leave you to be like you and and that's you know arguably another
0: one of the flaws yeah it's interesting so you're what, you have put together an idea that I know is starting to really pick up traction in the real estate community about a, essentially a mentor program opposed to this traditional sort of you know, team model. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. First of
1: all, remember what I just said is, is that talent, and actually you know, a lot of great things I learned from Gary Keller, talent, you can usually get talent just by paying them about 20% more. And so one of the things that I do in my mentor model is I give them a 70-30 split. And I'm able to do that because we split the marketing cost proportionate to the split. And so if I'm getting 30% of the commission, that means I'm paying 30% of the expense. And I'll tell you, Tim, when they're paying the lion's share of the expense, it is remarkable how discerning they suddenly become in – how the money is spent and how diligently they're going to work the leads. So that's the first piece is pay people well and then put make sure that both parties have skin in the game. That was a hard lesson that I learned when I had remote businesses because I own franchises across the country. When those folks didn't have skin in the game, it was really easy for them to pick up the phone and just say, "Hey Don, Send fifteen thousand so we can, you know, make the lease payment and so forth. But once I had a local op, man, those expenses dropped overnight, and I loved it. And that's how we were able to turn offices around. So you've got to have the right economic system, and you've got to have it in such a way that they um, they take ownership. Which, by the way, that also creates a solution to flaw number two because. If, you know, people aren't idiots, when they look and they see that they're going to be paying the lion's share of the cost, well, guess what? Non-talent does not opt into that because, remember, they don't want to work too hard. They don't want to accept responsibility. So they're, going to, they're not even going to put you through the pain and agony of trying to push on a rope. They're just not going to join your team, and they're going to say, "Ah, oh, you know, I just don't think it's a fit for me. You should be grateful that they have filtered themselves in that way. So, And then also it's critical that once you put that structure in place, talent, you know, like my first full year in the business, I closed 51 deals. Well, it's really important if you get your hooks into big talent that you don't make them conform to the pace of the average individual. So when when one of my agents goes beyond 10 closings, uh, not only do they cap, but they also get an elevation of their split, go to 75-25, and then my goal, interestingly enough, is to get them up to, at least in my model, icon status, which is about 30 deals a year, as fast as possible. Now, at that point, they be, they have the choice of becoming a mentor, and they leave my mentorship and you could say, oh, geez, well, yeah, but you're not going to make any more money. Well, if I sponsored them into the company, I am going to continue to rep share. Not only am I going to make money off them, but I have a financial incentive to help them do the same thing, rinse and repeat. So when I'm approaching an agent, my goal is to get them from 0 to 250000 in income as fast as possible. Mere mortals will take three years. Some will get there in a year. Then I want to show them how to make another 200 to 250000 by mentoring a team of 10 to 12 people, each closing one a month. And by the way, it doesn't work like perfect math. You might have to take that team up a little bit bigger than that and then top grade down, but you can get there um, because the model will attract a higher caliber person. And then depending on what model they're building that on, and by the way, Tim, you know, you can do this in any brokerage. It's just the level of profitability is going to vary based upon that cost for your sub-agent that's in that remote location. And, uh, and so if they've done it on my model, though, I uh, – or I should say they – will also simultaneously be building a significant amount of passive income. So – for them, it's a pretty good gig. If we can get them to four or five hundred thousand in earned income, half of that being their personal production, half of it being for mentoring, and then get them ultimately to a six-figure passive income, man, that's not a bad gig,
0: right? No, so it's not. And I think we could – Well, go ahead. You're pulling. In, you're pulling a couple of different things here. I want to make sure our listeners, because this. You know, podcast goes to agents no matter what their brokerage affiliation is. So he's, he's talking about um, EXP's revenue share model. That's what he's mentioning here. And so if you guys want to learn more about that, you can just text the word EXP to 31996. Just text the three letters EXP to 31996. But those of you who are in EXP, what he's describing is there's also a great way – for you to expand your own revenue share group by essentially providing, you know, support through the mentoring program, what he's describing. It's a great idea. It's taking the idea of sponsoring agents and the moral obligation you have when you sponsor somebody. It's taking it to the next level, which I find very, you know, I find it admirable because that's not really a lo- the way a lot of people think. You know, so go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, you're right. And but that really, and I call this the mentor-apprentice model. But I think that that is the obligation and responsibility of a mentor is to enable someone to be able to do what you're doing. Otherwise, why have they come to you as an apprentice?
0: So,
1: right. It, I, well, I think it should be
0: on. that it, way. So, so listeners, here's what I'd like to do. I would love to have – I'm going to still talk to Don on the podcast or off the podcast. It doesn't matter because I find him interesting. But I want you to tell me whether you want to have more drilled on topics like this. These are the conversations that you need to be having if you consider yourself a professional. If you are a true entrepreneur and a business owner, the way that Don and, – and I'm trying – this conversation we're having – it is designed to make you smarter. It is designed to help you to put in place your own set of rules and guidelines in which to run your business by. A lot of you make the mistake of just entering into this industry and just following the herd or, you know, so I joined this brokerage, so now this is what I'm supposed to be doing, because you do not have your own North Star. And the recurring themes that I heard Don and I talk about, if you guys were listening, is you've got to build your business around, you know, sustainability or basically longevity. The current models don't do that. Then but most importantly guys, from a business perspective, you have to be building your business around profit. You only make profit in a real estate practice or any business for that matter when basically you're essentially paying very close attention to where you're spending your money. And if you're stuck in one of these black holes, I mean now he's getting his anxiety just listening to Don talk about because if it's so many coaching clients that have been through the this you know, essentially this never-ending grinder of having people you hire someone and then they sort of think well i don't need you anymore then they quit then you ruin your decimate your business is decimated you have to do it over and over and over again so i love this mentor idea i think there's a lot of opportunity there for some of you who are realizing the insanity of really following that old business model but here's the other side of it too really guys that if you really truly want a long-term, sustainable – I don't like that word as much because it's overused, but I'm overusing it on this podcast too, so I'm being a hypocrite. But if you really do want a long-term, sustainable real estate business, you can't be basing it on buying leads. You have to learn how to get the business yourself, and you have to learn how to be a listing agent. Because when you have a listing agent, you really – you are a listing agent, you really do have autonomy from all these little gyrations and ebbs and flows. Your economy slows down. Your housing market slows down. Days on the market extends. Take more listings learn how to be a really efficient pricer and communicate with your sellers and all these types of things, that's where the money side of the business has always been and always will be. Don, I have a sort of a random question for you. Actually, you and I didn't talk about this before. Sure. But I'm kind of interested in your take on this. What do you think about the future of buyer agency? And let me just predicate that by saying I've been reading what, well, of course, you know only in the United States and Canada is there a entitlement of a 3% or 2.5% co-op on a transaction where the seller pays for it. And the rest of the world, I'm always saying Don knows this, but many of you guys don't. And the rest of the world doesn't work like that. There's no MLS, there's no, you know, entitlement of a co-op. And I'm seeing more and more people talk about uh, tech companies in particular. And I know some of them are experimenting with it, especially the iBuyers, buyers, not just automatically paying a buyer's agent commission. Do you think that's going to be one of the things in 2020? They're going to be under serious attack.
1: Absolutely. What you've got to imagine when you think about the future is that we're going to have competitors the likes of Amazon that just looks to squeeze every inefficiency out of a business model. And so you're very right on to encourage the listeners to get ahead of that. Make sure you're the one that has secured the listing so that you can write the rules because – If you've positioned yourself where you're reliant on the spirit of cooperation of your uh, competitive colleagues, uh, that could be a dangerous place to be. Uh, I
0: would (laughs) say – (laughs) <laughs> He's of course referring to the yeah. tech companies, not your fellow realtors, of course, because they're not going to give a hoot right. about whether or not they have. They're going to go after the consumers' loyalty, not fellow brokerages, and they're not worried about the Christmas party where the guy from the that you beat in the listing appointments giving you the stink eye. That's not how they're going to think. They're thinking like business people, is what I heard Don just say. Absolutely.
1: Now, I would say though that
0: if you choose
1: to engage in this business in a relationship-based way, and you do three, four transactions a month that way, and you build yourself 300 people that consider you their realtor of choice, you're going to be all right.
0: For sure. And
1: so it's uh, just between the transactions, make sure – that you are a real estate resource to those people and that they don't feel like a number. And, and I would argue that that's yet another flaw of the team model is a lot of the consumers due to the attrition feel like they are a number. And ultimately the consumer will not tolerate that. And they have so many ways of holding us accountable now through Yelp or other review platforms. So, Mean and you've got to be under-promising and over-delivering.
0: Well, and really, the buyer, agent, and commission side of things, I can personally, I can definitely see that going away relatively quick. You know, that's it'll happen. Maybe not so much in the upper end stuff because that's going to be a different type of relationship. But one thing, the, the listing side of the business, that could be under attack too, but it's going to be much harder to, for tech companies to peel that business away from us um, just because of the nature of the the nature of the relationship with the seller i buyer's side i mean you know exp has its own i buyer program some other brokerages do as well you can compete on the i buyer side of things where they can't compete with you assuming you have this to offer is exactly what he just said the relationship if you have a relationship of being their trusted real estate advisor and you guys should all know this it's just so obvious even if you're competing in, in the consumer's mind, your you know your friend, your center of influence, past clients, even if they're comparing you to an iBuyer, if you have similar enough tools and the numbers are close enough, they're going to do business with you because they trust you, versus somebody that the iBuyer company or whoever just sends in. And if you guys look at the um, the graveyard of all these companies that have come in, that have just tried to basically make it so that it was a the you know the, the low cost leader. That that model doesn't work because sellers. Oddly, crazily, but factually, sellers, generally speaking, even though you, as a real estate professional, think the bottom line net's the most important thing, it generally isn't. That's not what they want. That is not is probably the top five, but it's not number one. You think it's that you know the largest check that you can receive at seller at closings what the seller wants, but what they want is they want the least amount of stress because they are stressed as hell. That's the reason that the eye buyer companies. Are sneaking in and they're starting to gobble away some of the low hanging fruit because what they're delivering is a convenience in the eyes of the sellers. They're delivering a less stress model, and look what these sellers are willing to pay for that less stress thing. So please learn from the successes of others so you can adopt your approach to basically building a very successful real estate uh, model. Yeah, and I yeah, it's fun. I'm excited about it. 2020 and 2000 really the next three or four years are going to be incredibly. Um, you know they can offer so much opportunities for agents that really truly have their head screwed on straight um, and aren't running on a knife's edge as far as basically what the viable financial viability of their businesses are, which is you know virtually every big brokerage and everybody in between. those of you who are you know it's a difference between quitting and quitting while you're ahead if you are right now realizing that Don and I are speaking to you and some of the things we said maybe hit home a little bit too much about your personal and your financial you know your business financials. Do something about it now before your first, before really the you know the zombie apocalypse horde hits your front door. Do something before it's too late. Do something while you can control what your options are versus a you know essentially scarcity and lack of money controlling them for you. So, Don, anything else you'd like to say to all these guys as we round the bend on today's show?
1: Well, I would only just to echo your comments
0: there. I
1: think that this can be a very exciting time. We. We simply need to engage in this business. We're very fortunate that it is a complex transaction. As you point out, there's a lot. It's very emotionally charged. So if you can provide your business in a relationship-based way and give your clients peace of mind, you're going to have a role. Now, to be able to stay at the table, though, you're going to have to literally examine every cost in your business and if it does not add value to the consumer it has to be suspect because that's what it's going to take in order to compete in the future you're going to you should just imagine that you're going to be going up against amazon in its fierce competitive nature and like you said tim you, why not you control that process rather than having it mandated against you? And so, you know, I tell my coaching clients that your referrals will be based upon the extent that you exceed your client's expectations. So if you'll do a relationship-based approach with an under-promise, over deliver um, well, delivery, then you're going to be just fine, and all this stuff we're talking about will be fun for you because there's plenty of opportunity. Well, and, that's uh, it. I mean, the greatest for fortunes.
0: Me. Yeah, <laughs> the greatest fortunes have always been made during the greatest times of change. Listeners, did you hear that? The greatest fortunes in the history of history have always been made during the greatest times of change, and whether you know it or not whether you want to hear it or you don't, we are in one of those times now. We're in probably the first inning, maybe the second inning. You know, you could even argue maybe a little bit further down the road than that. But the reality of it is is there's going to be some noticeable changes that are going to happen over the really next eh, two to three, maybe five years. Make the most of it. I would strongly encourage you in alignment with what Don just said. First things first is get your expenses in alignment. Figure out what the heck it is that you're going to be doing to make it so that if the times you know sales slow down number who knows right financially you are probably going to be facing some unexpected headwinds in the future and how much ahead of your skis are you with some of these big you know plans towards team building and branding and logoing and postcard mailing and all these other things you're doing that do not directly attribute to you know contribute to customer satisfaction to his point but also profit if you can't directly say that expense led to a transaction, then maybe in times like this you need to not be doing it at all. You need to really be recalibrating what – consider recalibrating how you've been thinking because in the old model, which most of you are already feeling that we are definitely coming out of, some of you will start experiencing it next year. In the old model – the cash flow covered up mistakes. You could be doing all kinds of dumb stuff in your business, but because the mon- the velocity of the money comes in, nobody really pays attention. It's when the money slows down, that's when you start feeling the pain because the bills still come due. So please do the right thing, yep. guys. I would, I would definitely suggest you start with taking a hard look at what brokerage you're aligned with. I'm sure Don's not going to argue with me about that point. So text the word EXP to 31996. Get started there. And thereafter, guys, I would strongly suggest you connect with Don, see what he has to say about his mentor uh, program. He sent me a very good um, outline, a description of it. Actually, Don, if you don't mind – well, you might mind because this is your copywritten material. But what would you think about um, attaching that to today's podcast in the notes? Yeah. It's up oh, to 100%. you. 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, okay. absolutely. And uh, I may have even made a refinement since I sent it to you, so send I'll it. send you the precious copy. Michael yeah. – and- Tim, is that, because I, like you, I've watched so many of these guys suffer, huge, huge talent, and they're just, and I I would love to see people uh, have more success and abundance in this business, and I also, on the flip side, I'd like to see new people coming into this business and being put on a trajectory where they're not being held back, and their talent can rise to whatever degree is possible for them. You know, that's really should be our goal is to bring the best out in the people with whom they choose to follow us. And I think the mentor-apprentice model does that, and the more people that do that with or without my guidance, um, I'm the happier.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, Don, and I appreciate you being such a leader in the industry. There's very, very few people that I'm fortunate enough to cross paths with that think and talk and communicate like you do, you know, and frankly have the depth and breadth, you know, you're not full of shit. You've actually been there, done that on all the levels that matter. And I really sincerely appreciate you being on our podcast. I appreciate you – I appreciate being uh, an al- uh, uh, aligned with EXP and the fact that you're aligned with them as well, um, you know, encourages me that everything moving forward is going to continue to really allow for more talent to enter into um, our podcast, our coaching company, but also the brokerage As well, I mean, listeners, this really is an opportunity for you to be in the right place at the right time if you choose for it to be. And maybe listening to this podcast now is going to be the very thing that you needed to really give yourself permission to stop doing some of the things you've been doing with the hoping and praying that one day it'll be profitable. Maybe this is the opportunity for you to really say, you know what? there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm good. I know that I can, I'm a kick-butt salesperson. I can build a profitable business, and I've just been following the wrong business model, and now I'm going to do the right thing. Wherever you are in the spectrum, if you're a new agent and you're being seduced by all these easy-button ideas and these big team concepts that everyone seems to romanticize anymore, you know what? You, I get, give yourself permission to say, nope, going to take a hard pass on that one. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Thank you, Tim and Don, for helping me avoid that mistake. Share this podcast with other people. If you're listening on iTunes like I know a lot of you do, please give us a five-star review. Don't give us a wimpy four-star review. Come on. doesn't take any more effort to click five stars versus four. If you're looking for a perfect any time of year gift, remember Harris Rules is for sale at Barnes & Noble, for sale at uh, on Amazon, of course, and all your other major books uh, booksellers. Harris Rules continues to be a bestseller. So, Don, I really want to appreciate you being on our podcast today, and listeners, have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. Thank you, Don. Yeah, thank you.